everyone, and welcome to episode 239 of the Pixels Inc. podcast. I am your host, Cody Orm, and with us is our movie expert, Phil Brown. That's me. And while Brendan Fry isn't with us, we have one of our editors, Elias Blondeau. Hey, what's up, guys? You know, sick. Sweet. Yep. How about you? Same. <laughs> so this will be the Illis podcast. Sweet. <laughs> There's our Glad title right it. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> been uh, everything's been good on your end, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm just down in the uh, USFA. Just sleep deprived and don't feel very good. But other than that, everything's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there is a new Fast and Furious trailer today, so I'm doing fantastic. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it. I did. No, I haven't. Oh, guys. I heard there's something with like the rock and a yeah, missile. Yeah, yeah. The rock uh, uh, redirects or torpedo with his hand. Okay. Okay. Like in the middle of a car chase, he asks someone to take the wheel, which, like, I was shocked, first of all, that he would do that. <laughs> but then he leans out the car, and yeah, he leans out the car because they're being chased by a submarine on ice, like you do. And uh, yeah, he grabs the torpedo and he just shoves it aside because he's a real man. That- I don't know if you've noticed. That sounds just about like right for he did movies. to the Wyatt family <laughs> at WrestleMania. It's exactly what I wanted to see. It just looks so insane. I oh god, made me so happy. Every time a new one comes out, I'm like, they can't do something stupider than before that'll ma- that'll blow my mind with its audacity and its stupidity. But then The Rock moves a torpedo with his bare hands, and here I am again. When do you think we'll see a Fast and Furious Sharknado? Oh, they got to fight. Well, first of all, they have to fight uh, the Expendables and the Avengers, and yep. then they'll get to Sharknado. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and That's I also wouldn't be surprised if there ends up being a situation where uh, it turns out that either uh, either uh, Toretto on the sly has been Triple X all these years, <laughs> or it's a twin brother situation, and there will be a franchise crossover there, too. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Or maybe somehow... They fit into the Godzilla King Kong universe. It's very possible, but and I mean, they have to stop this fight of these. It's beasts. true, but my only question is like, can like, is it possible to compose a shot that has both The Rock and Vin Diesel and Godzilla in the same frame? I think it's impossible, personally. Well, I think that's just too much star wattage. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, but what if what if they're driving one of their cars up Godzilla's back? Oh, that's That'd great. Be sick. As he's terrorizing the city. Yeah, and driving like through the spines. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm all for that. Yeah, no, there are two things I want to see before the Fast and Furious franchise is over. Number one, I want a movie to end with Vin Diesel having to be shot in space in a car. <laughs> I don't care what the context is. Number two, I want a moment where uh, Vin Diesel, The Rock, and Jason Statham leap at each other and their bald heads connect and sparks explode out of their heads. <laughs> I think those are reasonable demands. I mean, I really I, think they need to those in there at least in that next like two or three entries however many right, they end up like, making yeah totally right like i feel like they're gonna th- they're gonna get there but these are the things i'm waiting for also nick cage has to be in it eventually how is he um, not already i mean to be honest i, I fe- say that's shocking I, I feel like they're saving him for the final film like they get <laughs> it more than anyone else and they're like we know nick has to be here we're just waiting until the very end playing long game exactly i mean he was well, in gone in 60 seconds he has to be in one of these things exactly Exactly. Like, it's only a matter of time. I mean, look, they got to Statham. They, and, and as soon as they put Statham in, I knew they get it. And Nick Cage is on their radar. And it's just a matter of time. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That last movie Nick Cage was in wasn't very good, was it? I mean, you could say that sentence every, always. <laughs> what was or the what last specific movie, movie you're referring to? I can't remember. I think you reviewed it, though. 
I God. You got to be more specific. Nick Cage being in a bad movie. It was like that's a couple like months ago. Okay. It was Nick Cage. I don't remember the movie. I just remember I think you had to leave early to watch it. Oh. Um, I have no idea. There is one well, at the so Toronto I Film Festival he was in where he did like a Humphrey Bogart impression for oh, a whole movie. Oh, Doggy Dog? Perhaps it was that it one. It might have been that one. That was really good. It was just for the last scene that he did the Humphrey Bogart impression, but that was enjoyably nuts. Yeah, it could have been that. That might have been like for the film festival. Because I'm just having a hard time thinking of a theatrically released Nicolas Cage movie from the last couple of years. Yeah, that's hard. Uh, He's well, kind of the king of VOD now. Like, the last one, the last good, I mean, I use good uh, loosely. Uh, last yeah. good theatrical Nick Cage movie I saw was Drive Angry, which I just thought oh, was... Oh, I loved Drive Angry hilarious. So like, oh, God. He the handled it up he's so like, well. Oh, yeah, the scene where he's smoking a cigar and having sex with a woman <laughs> while killing three goons is one of my favorite. <laughs> it was so good. History. Oh, it's incredible. He does, and he doesn't take his clothes off for sex either. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, he makes it clear. Well, he's too classy for that. He makes it clear. <laughs> he makes it clear, yeah. No, that was magical. I, um, oh, I got to watch that again. I, I Thank Googled you for reminding me about that, Elias. You're welcome. Day. <laughs> yeah. I, I Googled uh, CG Magazine, Nick Cage, and nothing came up. So maybe it was just all in my brain. I think it could have been. I think it must have been Doggy Dog. There is I, there isn't one that came out in the fall that I really want to see called Army of One. Oh, yeah. That's uh, based on a true story about a guy who was mentally ill that uh, immediately after September 11th, uh, he, he thought God came to him and told him he had to personally track down Osama bin Laden. So he flew to the Middle East to try and find him. And they made that as a movie with Nick Cage and Russell Brand as God. Yeah, I oh, saw okay. the trailer that for that. It looked kind of amazing. funny. Yeah, that's the thing is the trailer is amazing, and I can't decide if the movie itself will live up to the trailer or if I should just leave that trailer as a little perfect thing in my mind and not sully it with the actual 90-minute process. I mean, I think, I think we know the answer to that question. <laughs> I know. You're right. I'm glad we have this chat. You guys really saved me an hour and a half. I appreciate it. Well, okay, now I've I got to ask a question, though. Yeah. Nick Cage, because this, this, I had this argument with someone earlier. Mm -hmm. Is he a bad actor? No. Uh, no, no. See, I don't think so either. Oh, no. He, no, he can be excellent. Like in like something like Adaptation. Oh, Adaptation's like, genu fantastic. A genuinely great performance or like Raising Arizona or something like that. And, in, and his like bad performances, like I feel no one finds them funnier than Nick Cage. Like, he knows exactly <laughs> what he's doing. And you have to admit, like, I've seen a lot of bad Nick Cage movies. He's never been like the least entertaining part of them. Yeah, that's true too. And I think he, I think he's, he, I think he is very self-aware of what he's doing. Also, he's a person that like, I'm trying to think of an actor who picks more unique roles. Yeah, and I can't. Maybe Johnny Depp, but that's just make makeup. Yeah, but uh, but I mean, like he both picks unique roles and says yes to everything. It's an that, interesting yeah. combination. I remember a couple of years ago, I saw a thing where uh, his agent says he's actually very picky about really the roles he picks. Yeah, what? That, I feel like yeah, that, that must have been a few lie, years ago. Yeah. That's fake news. I mean, fake <laughs> 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 news. <laughs> no, it was, like, it was an interview, and he was like, "Yeah, no, he's very picky," and wow. was, like everyone was like, "No, he's not." That's yeah. I mean, it depends on when we're talking about. If it, was it like, wasn't that long yeah. ago. I mean, okay, after he's in I debt for buying a castle, which is a real thing that happened, I doubt he's oh, yeah. very picky. <laughs> oh, oh yes. yeah. Oh yeah. He also he has several like castles and Action Comics number one. Yep. And he already has a shrine built to himself in New Orleans for where he's going to be buried. Oh, that's kind of... That's amazing. That's badass. Oh, he's didn't an incredible he, guy. Didn't he also get in a bidding war at an auction with, I think it was Leonardo DiCaprio? He did. Over a T-Rex skull? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He did. Yeah. And he won? Yeah. With money he probably didn't have. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. 
But he's a magical man. Yeah. He also got in a he got in a fight with the lead singer of um Motley Crue last year, grabbed by his hair. That's right. And there was a video of that. Yes. That was spectacular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? I need to see this. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, I heard him say afterwards that it wasn't so much a fight as it was it just he was getting out of control and Nick Cage was trying to calm him down. Yeah, like they're friends. Um, and then the lead singer of Motley Crue attacked this woman. And then Nick Cage like wrestled him away. and was like, dude, you need to calm down. And it was oh, all that's what film. it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Oh, so funny. <laughs> so funny. God. All right. Well, as much as I would like to talk about Nicolas Cage for the duration of this podcast. Yeah, that was a, that was a long, yeah, long yeah. bit of Nick Cage talk. Absolutely. But, but it was great. Shall we, do, would you like me? Did we, shall, you? we shall lead into game news now. Do it. And uh, let's start off with uh, you know, a pretty happy story. Banner mm-hmm. Saga 3 not only met its funding goal. Of $200,000. It uh, pretty much doubled it. Sick. Uh, so now they've al- announced some stretch goals. Mm-hmm. Um, including like some playable characters and things like that. But uh, that's kind of that's pretty cool. Good for good for the guys over at, at Stoic. Those games always look pretty cool to me. They're like point and click adventure sort of things, right? Yeah, they're uh, they're kind of like a strategy okay. type with a uh, very cartoonish art style. Yeah, the art style always kind of caught my eye. Yeah, um, and it's uh, Versus Evil who publishes that, and they um, they're kind of like the publisher for for indie devs. That's cool. cool. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of like anytime a a creation like that can get more uh, funding, that's mm-hmm. always a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another another bit of news. Amazon Game Studios. Now, we had a bit of a conversation on Facebook, yeah. Elias and I, about mm-hmm. this already. Mm-hmm. Um, they're making some moves. Are so, they? first, they uh, they created their own engine based off the Cry engine uh, called Lumberyard. Okay. Um, they opened up a studio in San Diego and got uh, former Daybreak CEO, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, John Smedley uh, to head up there. And now. Uh, for their Seattle studio, they got the uh, Command and Conquer creator, uh, Lewis Castle, to head that studio. So it looks like they're making some big moves, and uh, they want to be taken seriously. And it's interesting, because uh, Castle, I actually got to interview him not that long ago. It was only a few months back. Uh, he was working with Kixai, and they were doing a mobile adaptation of the War Commander series, and they wanted him to come in because it's a uh, real-time strategy Okay, type game. yeah, yeah. I mean, who better than to get the guy who created Command & Conquer? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, he he was working on that. I, it didn't sound like it was a permanent gig when he was talking to me. Now, that's just me speculating on like what he was talking about. He yeah, came yeah, in partway through development and all that yeah, jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but man, Amazon Game Studios, they... Uh, they want to be taken seriously, it seems. They do, as a movie studio as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. They're, they're going to be a conglomerate yeah, for <laughs> pretty sure. soon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense, like, from a business standpoint. It's like they have the TV, they have movies, they have their own book publishing platform. Um, I don't know if they have, like, a music label, but, like, games are such big business now that it would make sense yeah. for Amazon to try to get in on some of that, for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and especially if you're trying to sell your, your new engine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The best way to show it off is by having your own studios do it as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at uh, Epic Games, like the Unreal Engine, mm-hmm. Unreal Tournament. Like that's their bread mm-hmm. and butter at this point. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and for the longest time, the Gears of War franchise just worked as like a commercial for that that <laughs> for engine. For that engine, yeah, pretty yeah, much. basically. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those um, it's it's interesting to see that. But uh, going on to some other news, what do we got? Oh, did anyone see the uh, the gameplay reveal for Middle Earth: Shadows of uh, Shadow of War? Mm. I heard it was out, and I didn't watch it. <laughs> okay, Phil, did you play Shadows of Mordor? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So this is the the sequel to Shadows of Mordor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the WB released a bit of a a, a gameplay trailer, I guess, mm-hmm. yep. to kind of show off some new elements to it. So the the nemesis and uh mechanic, which kind of if you remember, kind of gave you a uh, you got enemies okay. uh, on the other team. They they kept killing you, and then you'd become rivals until you could finally take them out. Yep. Uh, they added they kind of revamped that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now it makes for a more, from what it seems, a more uh, ongoing story. So you actually recruit orcs and have them fight alongside you. They could betray you. They could become friends. Um, there could be rivalries within the ranks of your own army as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole thing took place, the whole video took place over uh, they're storming a castle. So you can actually like pick the castle you want to, like the area you want to pick up, uh, take out, go up to it. Uh, take down the door. You have different like types of orcs that you can have. Um, you can take a more stealthy approach or a more full frontal approach. Um, and you can also ride dragons, which is sick. That's why we all play video games, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's <laughs> actually incredibly exciting. Yeah, it uh, it looks pretty cool, and I'm excited for it. I mean, if I can decapitate orcs um, in mass for like you know a few dozen more hours, just like the first one, I'm set. That's all yeah, I care about. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Shadows of Mordor was a was a oddly uh, like it came out of nowhere. Yeah, I believe it was supposed to be a Batman game originally. Yeah, really. Yeah, it was supposed to be an Arkham game. Interesting. And for whatever reason, they turned it into they they reskinned it for Lord of the Rings. That's why I played a lot like the Arkham games too. Yeah, that makes sense. I assume. Yeah, I didn't realize that it was specifically supposed to be like a Batman game with decapitation. That was the plan. I don't think that part was added in. I guess after. the decapitations are sticking out for me. <laughs> it probably wasn't the focus of the design of yeah, the game. Yeah, I don't think okay. so either. Okay. Um, but did you guys see the Switch game sales? No. How's it doing? Uh, well, it's only uh, they've only released the Japanese numbers so far. Mm-hmm. Um, Reggie Fizume is saying that the Switch in America is still better than the Wii. Nice. But I mean, the Wii had a pretty weak launch, mm-hmm. if you recall. Yes, sure it is. They had lots of deli- shortages and yeah, things they like had that. The deliberate shortage, I believe. Um, so Breath of the Wild was the best-selling game, with no hun- kidding, <laughs> 187,379 copies. That's just in Japan. Wild. But that's across both platforms, right? Of course. Um, Bomberman R sold 36,623. Hey. Um, Puyo Puyo Tetris. Did twelve thousand eight hundred and fifty four, and Dragon Quest Heroes one and two twenty five thousand six hundred six copies. The Switch itself, um, I can just pull that up real quick. According to uh, Media Crate, um, and it was uh, translated by Gamatsu. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the week of February twenty seventh to March fifth, it totaled. Uh, three hundred twenty-five thousand eight hundred ninety-two units. Mm-hmm. So not, not a bad launch. That's a really good launch. Um, 
especially when you consider that that was after a holiday as well. Mm-hmm. That was in March. And I mean, yeah, and it's doubly impressive to me too because if you think about where Nintendo was at its last home console launch and all of the mixed messaging about the Wii U and how poorly that sold at launch and how it took years for Nintendo to sort of uh, make it clear what the Wii U exactly was. Um, I think this sort of launch is super impressive, um, putting that perspective for sure. I've never seen a company turn it around like that so quickly. Me neither. Too. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's the big thing is that just from the the public perception of mm. Nintendo was, uh, you know, weak hardware, no games. Mm-hmm. The Switch launches with, you know, weak hardware <laughs> and relatively no games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people are okay with it. They like it now. I mean, Little Zelda goes a long way, I think. But mm-hmm. um, it's there's an excitement around Nintendo, and people people really care yeah. again. Well, I think they managed to actually deliver a system that. You know, is is unique on the marketplace. That 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 too. Uh, the 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 Wii U wanted to be unique, and yeah. it just it wasn't. <laughs> if the like honestly, if the I think if the Wii if the Wii U controller had been portable, it would have been a whole. Other well, that was the big thing. Um, I was working retail mm-hmm. when uh, the Wii U launched, and that was the hardest uh, sell was to tell mm-hmm. people like, one, this isn't an attachment for your Wii console, and mm-hmm. two, you can't take this in the car. Yeah, with you. yeah, yeah. Um, and even up until, you know, a few months ago, mm-hmm. uh, I had to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was really frustrating because at that point you figure people would know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that just shows the kind of marketing Nintendo had I at know. the time, I guess. I know. Yeah, I mean, Brutal. and that's the thing with the Switch. Like you mentioned the marketing. I think in November when they rolled out that teaser trailer of here's the Joy-Con snipping, like snapping on and off the unit. Um, here's you putting it on the dock and taking it off the dock. Here's your hot rooftop party with the Switch. I mean, that proof of concept video was so appealing to such a like broad demographic. Like, my girlfriend, I mean, she loves video games, but she doesn't really buy a lot of them and doesn't ever buy game consoles because like, not a lot of it appeals to her. And she immediately saw the Switch, and she was like, I want one of these. And launch day, she bought one. I mean, it appeals to so many different people, and that central gimmick is just so um, it's so novel. And the mm, idea yeah. of just having this portable home console hybrid is so unlike anything that's been done before outside of, like, you know, the Sega Nomad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nomad was awesome. I mean, I it was. I don't understand why that didn't work. It was. It was just a little <laughs> bit late. And yeah. the Sega lifestyle for that to just happen. Just a tad. But yeah, no, I agree. It, it was a lot it, like the Wii all over again, where it just really, it was a product that captured the imagination. Yeah. It wasn't just another console. It was I something agree. unique. Yeah. I'm going to say it right now. I think that uh, the Switch's biggest draw, like at first, obviously, it's going to be the idea that like, ooh, I can take Zelda anywhere with me. Mm. Uh, but I think the biggest draw for it going forward is it's going to be able to provide local multiplayer unlike any other system. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be what really gets people going. Mm-hmm. And also, it's going to be able to deliver on a lot of the promise of the motion controllers that the Wii was Fingers not crossed. able to deliver on. I had a bit of issues. Um, I'm still playing Zelda. Yeah, yeah. Surprise. Um, and I had a bit of issues the other day uh, because they integrate the motion control in with the right, right, physical right. control. I had to turn it off because I was trying to like play while laying down like they said I could. Right, right, right. And I went to go pull out my arrow and like pointing directly at my tv yeah. link just pointed right down <laughs> and i'm like this is 
just turning motion controls off <laughs> at that point. Cause fair enough. I'm not moving. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally fair. Totally fair. But yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting concept. Yeah, I, I like it. it. Yeah, the, the right, first Jared. weekend's been great. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but that's all the game news I have. All right, I'll do movie news. I only have a couple things this week because uh, it was damn slow. Uh, the Fast and Furious trailer was one of the things I want to talk about, so we got that right out of the way. Okay. Good job, team. <laughs> and um, <coughs> so first up, um, the uh, uh, Logan was a ginormous hit last weekend. Made $85 million domestic and 250 worldwide, <sighs> which is the second massive R-rated superhero blockbuster to do that. That's crazy. And I'm really excited because I think suddenly for the first time since like I don't know the early 90s early to mid 90s uh, R-rated films are profitable again um, it's the one good thing that Fifty Shades of Grey did <laughs> um, was help prove that R-rated films could make money well, I have a question yeah. did R-rated films like not draw before or is that just a mindset that people had like in the video game industry where it's like oh people don't like survival horror and like in oh no, no they were a did. big draw for a long time, like when the R rating was first introduced in the 70s, that's what people mm-hmm. went for. Um, and then, uh, in yeah, in the like 80s and 90s, when the when Schwarzenegger and Stallone were, were kings amongst men, uh, they Cobra. yeah, action movies, if it wasn't R rated, it was almost like it didn't count. And then it was pretty well uh, around the time of The Matrix and uh, when the Star Wars prequels that. And the burgeoning uh, superhero blockbuster model was that uh, created this PG, proved that PG-30 movies could, all of a sudden, every movie could be terminated. Oh, so it wasn't necessarily that R wasn't selling. It mm. was more that PG-13 was doing better? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Well, um, I, in fact, I it was a, a mistake what I said about The Matrix. The Matrix is actually the highest grossing R-rated movie, technically. Oh, okay. Um, so, so, yeah, it was, it was just, it just proved that it just hit, it just clicked more boxes and it was easier to make bigger, bolder, tenfold movies in a PG-13 marketplace. Otherwise, it felt like you were cutting out half your audience. This, you know, changes that. Now, granted, all the R-rated movies that have been huge successes have also been based on established properties. Yeah. So that's not helping with the whole make original ideas situation. Yeah, no. But it is a st- it is a step in the right direction. But it could be a nice uh, shot in the arm for the superhero genre. Which totally. Is, despite everyone still enjoying them, it's kind of gone a little bit I'm, at this point. I'm yeah. tired of every Marvel movie at this point, like all of them. Logan, I'm going to go see, like tonight actually, because it looks mm-hmm. really different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the I'm with you there. Fox is going out of their way to kind of try and shake up the formula. Good. <laughs> totally. All right. And uh, yeah, next up, the other just yeah, the other two smaller news stories. The first one is that uh, Joe Carnahan, this director I really enjoy, did The Grey, did uh, Smoke and Aces. Um, he was supposed to do Bad Boys 3, a.k.a. Bad Boys for Life, and he quit this week. <laughs> oh, no. Um, ma- so it's Was there un- a reason, or he just... No, it's unclear why, just the classic creative differences thing. But I mean, look, they've been trying to make Bad Boys 2 since when did the last one come out? 2003? And no one can ever seem to agree on what's going on. This one, he, like, signed on to do this in 2015, and it's now uh, two years later, and it's still not, still hasn't gone into production, so he may have just gotten frustrated by it. Um, So I'm like, I can't decide if I'm upset by this or not, because I don't really love the Bad Boys movies. They're (laughs) like, I mostly enjoy laughing at them. So um, I was intrigued to see. Kiel Lambert was very upset. Oh yeah, the news that it was uh, that he left. I saw. Yeah, 
So, yeah, no, it's a bummer, but what can you do? And I guess instead he's going to be doing uh, the Raid remake with Frank Grillo, which Gross. is a movie that, that I don't <laughs> think needs to exist, but at the same time, like, the Raid's such a simple concept. They could do something interesting with it. It's just a bummer it has to be called the Raid. I like the Raid. I love the Raid, <laughs> to be clear. I just mean it's a bummer that they can't just make an action movie together. Oh. They have to make the Raid. He's also, uh, Carnahan, from what I remember, is working on the screenplay for a remake of Death With, Death Wish, which no one wanted. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like there are certain movies that you shouldn't oh, yeah. remake. And he was gonna, he tried to, he tried hard before uh, the rights of Daredevil reverted back to Marvel to make an R-rated uh, movie based on uh, Born Again for Fox. Oh, that would have been. It would have been exciting, cool, but, but it I, was I really like the the Netflix series though. I like it, but that would have been better. Yeah, it would have yeah. been. But anyway, so his his troubles continue. Um, what can you do? And then the last one was uh, there was an interview with Ridley Scott this week, and he claims he already has a screenplay for another Alien movie planned, and he's prepared to make one a year for the next six years. Oh, <laughs> oh no! Because you know you know what the people need. Yeah, yearly installments. I know. I've I'm like I'm torn because Alien Covenant looks great. Yeah, yes. it does. But Prometheus also looked great. And, and it was not. It was not. Did you guys this not? Looks did, like, did you guys not like that? <laughs> I didn't know. I wasn't a huge fan. Okay. Of it. it had great sequences in it, but <laughs> oh god, it had that Damon Lindelof syndrome that I don't care for. Okay. Yeah, I can um, see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and had some just weird kind of down. It was a mixture of like incredible visuals and bold ideas and really sloppy storytelling. So your average um, Zack Snyder movie then? <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. So this looks like it's addressed a lot of the problems. And I want it to be good, and I can't wait to see it. But now I feel like I don't want it to be a hit because I don't want there to be six more <laughs> crappy alien movies coming out <laughs> immediately Same. afterwards. Nothing is sacred anymore. Oh, God, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. But, hey, while we're talking about how it's a shame that there are no new ideas and people shouldn't build giant franchises anymore, how about I talk about the new King Kong? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> we'll call that a teaser mm. because we are going to go on our break and mm. thank our friends over at Comic Bento before, before we do that. Cool. Let's do it. Jack, do you have a need for comics and graphic novels? I do have a fixin'. Have well, a fixin'. what you need to do is go to comicbento.com and use the promo code CGMAG in all caps, and you can get $5 off a Comic Bento subscription. It goes right to your door. Yes! Five bu- Dude, five bucks? Five bucks. Five hey, guys, bucks. can I get in on this action? Oh, yes, yeah. you can. Whoa! You know what you have to do? Go what to comicbento.com and use the promo code CGMAG in all caps and get $5 off your Comic Bento subscription. Five whole dollars? Five whole dollars. Whoa! Whoa. Comic Bento. Get it now. And we're back. Hey. Hey. You guys feel that cliffhanger? Yeah. <laughs> I'm dangling. Are you? Attention about... palpable. <laughs> yeah. Let's hear about that that Kong Skull Island yeah, action. Yeah, Kong Skull Island. So, uh, yeah, it's a new King Kong movie, um, as you may have gathered. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of King Kong. I won't pretend I'm not. Um, I actually quite enjoyed the uh, Peter Jackson movie. Um, so and I. I felt very alone in that. Oh, I'm glad to hear that, Cody. Thank you for your support. <laughs> but um, the big complaint about Peter Jackson's King Kong was that A, took way too long to get to King Kong, and B, just spent a little bit too much time trying to be all arty and serious and stuff. So good news, those are absolutely not problems here. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Con- uh, Kong Skull Island starts Im- like immediately in the middle of an action scene. Um, a two pilot, two World War II pilots, one American, one Japanese, crash land onto a jungle island. They immediately uh, start to fight each other with guns and samurai swords. And in the middle of the fight, they're interrupted by a gigantic monkey known as Kong. 
Now, for the rest of the film, he will be referred to only as Kong. Occasionally, they will say things like, ooh, Kong is king. But they will never say <laughs> King Kong because King Kong is currently owned by Universal. Uh, However, to have a giant monkey called Kong, <sighs> there is no copyright on. Well, I thought King Kong technically bald, fell under public domain. Yes, but the specific term King Kong um, and to call a movie King Kong, Universal uh, still has the rights okay. for from when they put together the deal for their remake. That makes sense. Yep. It's so the Donkey Kong yeah. thing. So, and then it feels like Warner Brothers and the people who made this movie keep taunting that by constantly saying, ooh, Kong is king. You know who the king is? Why, it's Kong. <laughs> and throughout the movie where I'm like, this is just getting like insulting. But anyway, I digress. So it started in World War II and then immediately jumps ahead to the 70s, the era when they made the worst King Kong movie. Um, and then they, but you know, they don't dwell on that. <laughs> so, uh, John Goodman plays a scientist slash conspiracist who is convinced that slow, slightly below the Earth's crust, the Earth's crust are a, gig a series of gigantic monsters. And he manages to talk the government into bankrolling a trip to this island they recently discovered through early satellite uh, technology that uh, it, that is a legendary island seems to exist. That's Skull Island for those paying attention at home. And uh, he, so the government says, yeah, sure, if, you, if it'll make you shut up, John Goodman, you can go. And he assembles a team. Uh, the team is to be led by Tom Hiddleston, who plays an adventurer, and that is his entire character. He is <laughs> there is no backstory. There is no growth. He is just a sweet adventurer from start to finish. Um, and then uh, to go alongside him, they have Brie Larsons, who is uh, an adventurer slash photographer. And once again, that is her entire character. <laughs> um, so and and then... She's the first character, but she can also take photographs. She has a camera, too, yeah. and she smiles, and she's a girl. Oh, okay. Um, so, and that's pretty well it. And <laughs> then, uh, then, and then uh, the next person they hire is uh, Sam Jackson, the military leader who's uh, incredibly irritated that they got pulled out of Vietnam, and, uh, but very happy that he can lead this expedition with his team of mercenaries. So they, after a little bit of struggle, they get to Kong Island, and within seconds of getting to Kong Island, while they're, uh, you know, there's a lot of shots of helicopters against sunsets and uh, some CCR playing, as is required for any <laughs> Vietnam Vietnam movie-related sequence. Of uh, course. Kong shows up and destroys all the helicopters in a, like, frankly, amazing sequence. And then everyone's standing around the island, uh, yada, yada, yada. It, at this point, um, sort of turns into kind of a vague Apocalypse Now homage a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, like, it's a journey across the island to find an unknown person uh, being Kong. <laughs> Colonel Kurt, um, and it's filled with allusions to that. There's a sort of slight sort of anti-war sort of sentiment, a slight sort of Vietnam parallel, but really there's nothing intellectual about this whatsoever. <laughs> um, the, as I said before, like all the characters are basically cartoon cutouts, like Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston. His entire job is basically to just like do sweet action figure poses and act like really, really hard against green screen, and they do that well. It just feels kind of like a shame that have so little to do. But uh, the good news is uh, Sam Jackson is absolutely fantastic. He uh, stares down Kong and screams at him as if he's convinced he could beat up King Kong in a fist <laughs> fight. And yes. he also, at one point, does indeed say, hold on to your butts. And it was amazing. <laughs> um, I know, I couldn't believe it. The other guy who's actually really good is uh, secretly kind of the heart of the movie and the comic relief, which is John C. Riley. Mm -hmm. John C. Riley plays the World War II fighter from the beginning who's been trapped on the island ever since then. And he has just a blast being a sort of like lost out of time hasn't been able to speak to humans in decades character and he's just as funny as you'd hope from that and he clearly got to improvise a ton it's hysterical and he also gets to fight uh monsters with the samurai sword which is amazing 
You can't um, beat that. Oh, you really can't. So <clears throat> there's a lot of herky-jerky editing. It felt like a lot of stuff was cut out. Um, it felt like a lot of characterization went on the wayside, with the exception of Sam Jackson and John C. Riley. Um, so there are plot holes. There are weird, confusing elements. But the good news is that it is relentlessly entertaining. There's just one gigantic action sequence after another. They're really well put together. Director John Boyd Roberts had never done a blockbuster before. The only movie he'd done before <coughs> was uh, The Kings of Summer, which is about as far from this as you can get. But he just clearly has been waiting for this opportunity and dives into it. The action sequences are incredible. They are relentless. And it really feels like watching someone with uh, a bunch of army action figures and a giant King Kong doll just smashing together and giggling to himself. Um, it was surprisingly violent for a PG-13 movie. There's some like dismemberment. And one uh, image that felt like an homage to Cannibal Holocaust to me, which I did not ever expect to say about a Hollywood King Kong. In a PG-13 movie, oh, no. <laughs> 100%, but they did it somehow. Uh, the giant monster, there are a bunch of giant monsters on the island. None of them are as instantly memorable as King Kong, uh, but uh, they all have a kind of unique look to them. And uh, yeah, this Kong, uh, he doesn't really have the pathos or the weird pervy sexuality that we're used to from Kong. Yet. He's pretty... Mm, we'll see. <laughs> um, he's, uh, but he, uh, he's basically positioned as Earth's protector against the evil monsters that dwell within to set up further franchise pictures. Ah. And um, he does that rather well. There's, yeah, he's tossing helicopters across the island. He's eating giant octopuses and slurping up their tentacles like spaghetti. It is a lot of fun. And I... I would I would rank it quite highly on the King Kong movie Pantheon. It does kind of bum me out that sort of, you know, the kind of, yeah, the sort of sadness and the sort of wounded wandering, wandering warrior aspect of King Kong that makes the original win, Peter Jackson's version, so compelling is pretty well abandoned in favor of monster madness. But at the same time, this is definitely, like, this is quite possibly the most entertaining King Kong movie, depending on how you feel about movies from the 30s. Um, and I got a huge kick out of it. I'm excited to see where they go with it. Um, there is a post-title sequence that makes it clear to everyone that didn't know this is part of the Godzilla franchise, and it's all building up to a big old monster battle. The one thing I found confusing about it is they've clearly positioned through that end uh, the heroes of this movie as being central to the monster movie universe, which is odd to me because this takes place in the 70s, making me think that the Godzilla movie they made a few years ago is actually not going to be part of this canon. Well, I mean, they, they would put themselves in a pretty weird situation because that Godzilla is gigantic. Yeah. And there would yeah. be no way that King Kong would be able oh, to fight it. Uh, this King but Kong what if is, he climbed up Godzilla, though? No, no, this King Kong is is bigger than normal. Yeah, but is he, is he is he Godzilla? Yeah. Wow, yeah. that is a big monkey. It is a giant monkey. Wow. Yeah. Okay. No, they've gone out of their way to, to play with the scale. Um, Maybe but he's going to be like an older King Kong, like I a grizzled. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I because like I said, like the if if they do that, then it'll have to be Tom Hiddleston and his character will have to be you know in his sixties if if they ca if they catch yeah. up with the other continuity. I think what they're planning on doing is essentially just uh, either that movie takes place in the future, a la Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, uh. or <laughs> it's just retconned altogether, and um, and and I and I don't mind that simply because the the tone of this, as much as I liked that Godzilla movie and I did, it was a bit too slow 
it was a bit ponderous. It took way too long for monster movie mayhem to happen. This movie corrects all that. And I did, I did always think it was weird that the, the movie that they've been sort of saying was a Godzilla sequel that Michael Doherty, who did Krampus and Trick or Treat, is going to direct, was just called Godzilla King of the Monsters with no Roman numeral. And my guess is it's just a new Godzilla. They may keep okay. the design, may pretend that that one's still part of it so that they can keep, keep selling those DVDs. And whatnot, and action figures, but yeah, um, that it one seems just takes like place later down in the yeah, timeline. I, I feel like I mean that's what they uh, that's what they did with the Japanese Godzilla movies. They in they made the American the Roland Emmerich Godzilla canonically sort of part of all of it, while still sort of shoving it to the wayside. That's right. That's right. So until Final Wars, where proper Godzilla got to beat it up, which was great. Of course, yeah, <laughs> it's great stuff. But um, so my ge- yeah, so my guess is that was the plan. Is that it's just sort of. That's still technically part of it, but they're reinventing it to be more cartoonishly entertaining like this one. I'm not against that. And quite frankly, um, if this is all building towards a King Kong versus Godzilla movie, I would certainly hope that wouldn't be treated, t- treated very seriously and as a human tragedy. <laughs> um, this is exactly the tone I want to be. I No, I thought it was a ton of fun. It's just self-aware enough to know how stupid it is. It sort of gives you an out. Um, and yeah, it's just a good time, really. And really got a big kick out of it and i can't wait to see king kong fight godzilla in jurassic park with yeah cliffhanger I, uh, making it clear that the uh <laughs> pacific rim robots will be involved in the follow-up because they're all i mean hey i mean king kong i mean the new king kong movies and the new godzilla movies are done by legendary exactly pacific rim is part of legendary it exactly it's not a coincidence it's only a matter of time i'm uh that's i'm it, they'll actually let del toro make another oh, Pacific they Rim. own the rights they don't need him well they're making another one uh with Al del toro that's right they're already making one. Oh, really sort of involved in producing yeah 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 do we do we want it without him um it looks good i mean sounds the, cool yeah like this the concept's simple enough i would see someone else do it it's a bummer he's not doing it but um if it means i get to watch giant robo suits fight godzilla and king kong like it's worth it yeah as far as i'm concerned um, i'm a. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited to see uh, Skull Island. I'm going to go see it tonight or tomorrow, and mm-hmm. I'm really excited because Larry Fong did the cinematography, and mm-hmm. he does all of Zack Schneider's movies, and Zack Schneider's movies always look really good, yeah, but they're yeah. always just the most joyless slogs, and so I'm really happy to see that sort of uh, that sort of cinematography brought to a movie that seems to sort of have a sense of fun and humor to it. That's 100% accurate. I didn't realize that was Zack Snyder's cinematographer, and but it doesn't surprise me whatsoever mm. to hear that. And uh, I think you're going to get a big kick out of it on that film alone. So, I'm excited. There you go. Everyone should be. Kong, I'm, I'm excited. Kong is king, but not King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> you did mention in your review that it's not, uh, it's not really for the people that enjoyed the uh, Peter Jackson King Kong. Um, well, I, what well what I mean to say about that is it's like if you're if you like that kind of the, the like tragic element to it, yeah. the the sort of bizarre human uh, primate giant primate love story aspect, <laughs> you will get none of that here. And um, yeah, it it felt very much like a response. And I wouldn't say that people that that like that king kong movie won't like this one it's just about adjusting expectations really and really if the problem is that this giant monkey movie is too entertaining (laughs) i'm okay with that i can live with that interesting yeah i yeah no i like that i think like the ideal king kong movie would be halfway between these 
Yeah, well, because what I'm worried about is that it's that now I haven't seen it, but mm. what I'm worried about from just like hearing your description is that mm. there's there's not a lot of substance aside from it looks pretty and there's action. There's a little. Uh, there's a little bit. I tried to uh, mention, uh, allude to that a little bit before, where there, there's enough. It's at least self-aware enough. Yeah. Um, and there are enough clever jokes that it's not. Yeah, it's not like a, a, like a Michael Bay or Brett Ratner movie. Oh, okay. Like there is a little bit of almost like a winking Joe Dante tone to it. It's just not. It's not a movie I would describe as artist driven. <laughs> okay. Other than like CGI artist. Um, there are yeah, there's some clever stuff in it. Um, and I and I feel like there was probably a more ambitious cut of this movie that did try to have a bit more meat on the bones. But at the end of the day, I mean like. I don't really care what they wanted to say about the Vietnam War. <laughs> um, I'm more interested in watching King Kong smash the smashers mashes. So makes sense. It worked. Who no, I'm, I'm, I'm. It was a ton of fun, and it made me excited for the new Godzilla. Was that the only movie you saw this week? Um, no, it wasn't. But I'm just trying to think if I saw anything else that's even really worth mentioning. Uh, I'm gonna go with no. No, no. <laughs> that's really the only one we're talking about. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That's it. I mean, that's a good movie to uh, to talk about. Absolutely, it was a great. It time. sounds great. I mean, I'm I've been following it ever since the director said that he was influenced by Evangelion. I was like, oh, okay, cool. You have my attention now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It is. It is definitely. Like, yeah, I went in with very low expectations, and I was pleasantly surprised. I recommend people do the same. That's cool. cool. I wonder if this is going to prompt Universal to uh, make a King Kong movie. <laughs> it's not impossible. Yeah. It's not. It's sadly not impossible. <laughs> and eventually they all just cross over. Mm -hmm. God willing. There's other great wall monsters in there, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, why not? Just well, just go for it. it. Should, well, I mean, if Univer Universal does own King Kong, the classic Universal monsters, and uh, the Fast and the Furious. So oh, there we go. If they want to match all go. those up, I'm all for it. Can Vin Diesel drive a car on the Great Wall while there's like King Kong and Great Wall monsters fighting? God willing. God all willing while the mummy, Frankenstein, Dracula, and the creature of the Black Lagoon all duke it out on top of the hood of said car. Yeah. Dude, no, why, why are we recording podcasts when we could be pitching these the ideas? They need yeah. us. They have to no, fight the rock too. Right. That's, that's that's very true. You're right. You're right. This is I all mean, right. that's a that's a free that's a free idea for you, yeah. Universal. Definitely. Don't let They're definitely know. listening. Yeah. Matter <laughs> of fact, I'm going to go write that screenplay right you now. You go do that. I am. Have a good time. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm checking out for this week. Unfortunately, i got to leave early, but you guys have a delightful game chat. We will. All, All right. right. Peace out, man. See you, See Phil. you later, gang. Phil's got a screening to go to. Cool. Mm -hmm. Train spotting too. So excited. Oh, you're allowed to Oh, wow. Uh, I'm allowed to say that I'm seeing it. Okay. So. Cool. cool. <laughs> well, you have fun, mm -hmm. and we'll see you next week. Yep. That yeah. was great. So, Elias. Hey, what's up? You've been playing some some near. I, I have. Okay, how do you I pronounce the last word in that? Aut automata? Uh, everyone pronounces it differently. I just say automata. Okay. That's sometimes I say automata because uh, I just say things differently sometimes. <laughs> I, for the longest time, just from, like, quick reading, I kept saying autonoma, and I know that that's not right. I mean, hey, I mean, it could be pronounced that way, maybe. No, there's another T. <laughs> yeah, there's another T. That's the thing. There's another T. Yeah. So, yeah, I spent uh, all of February playing that, basically. <laughs> wow. So it's a big game. 
yeah, I mean, my final save file clocked in at like 32 hours. and Holy crap. Yeah, it's very long, and I uh, I didn't even do everything that game has to offer. That's insane. Yeah, it's a 30-something hour, 30, 40-something hour platinum game, which is just insane to me. That's, because that's not that's, something they normally do. Yeah, like, I'm a huge platinum fan, except for, you know, like the past uh, uh, God, awesome two Ninja or three Turtles years. Game. Yeah, they've been on a bit of a, a, bit of a slouch, we'll say. <laughs> Yeah, they have, and uh, even as a fan of theirs, uh, I've always felt their games have been too short. Like, Bayonetta 2, which I loved. Like, you can finish that game in four hours. Mad World can be beaten in, like, two hours. Like, their games are always super short, and so seeing their sort of a stylistic flair carried over to a 40-hour game was sort of... Well, let's just say it made me really sad that Scalebound got canceled. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was um that was the one thing I was worried about because their games are generally pretty short, but I always felt that they were paced like that because they don't offer much outside of uh past what like that time frame, right? Like they're very simple mm. uh to an extent. And yeah, I can't I mean, see myself wanting to play it for more than, you know, say like 10 hours at most. Yeah, I absolutely even as a fan agree with you there. I mean, I think that's why um that's why I think with Nier Automata. So for anyone who ha- doesn't really know what Nier Automata is, uh, Earth is ruined. Uh, humans are on the moon. Um, there are bad robots that are being killed by good robots. It's a lot more complicated than that, but that is the most baseline summary. So, And basically you run around this big world and you kill these robots. And sometimes they're really big and really cool looking. But I think going back to the idea of Platinum's gameplay not being sustainable for like 40 hours... Um, Near Automata is really, really weird, and like a third of the time, all you're going to be doing is that hack and slash. But then the other parts of the game are weird Galaga, um, Ikaruga style shoot 'em up segments or 2D platforming, even, and a lot of just really weird stuff that sort of breaks up what could have become total tedium. Yeah, I got I got to play like the first like maybe half hour and. It mm-hmm. was all, like you said, 2D platforming. It had a bit of, like, uh, twin-stick shooter inspiration yes. as well. And, yeah, the first the first scene is, is a, like, bullet hell, uh, Galaga-inspired type space shooter. It was, it was really interesting. And, like, it kind of – it's not deceiving, but it doesn't – like, when you sit down and you're, you're going to play something like that, it's uh, not what you would expect. No, definitely is it. I mean, I think my big concern when I booted up the game and it went into that segment, I was like, oh, so these are just going to be little weird gimmicky mini games. I mean, I think that's a fair assumption. Um, and then after you spend all that time that you're going to with that game, it starts becoming very clear that mechanics that you learn in the shoot 'em up segments are integral to being good at the combat segments and vice versa. And everything sort of crosses over into this seamless blend of genres, which I thought was super impressive. So, like, it's deceiving and throws you for a loop for the first several hours until you realize, like, those aren't just distinct sections. They're all part of the same strategy and style of gameplay. So it all flows. It all flows really well. Like, eventually, you're doing bullet hell mechanics while you're hacking and slashing away at a boss. 
that's crazy. Yeah, I could see that too. Like even <coughs> um, even in the first uh, boss battle when you're fighting those gigantic blade scoop arm things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know how to describe it. Uh, they like there there were, it was kind of the same idea where you're shooting at it constantly like it's a bullet hell, and then it'll stall, and then you go up to it and hack and slash your way until you know lather rinse repeat and it had a bit of that um classic game style play too where uh the boss battles you just follow the patterns and, and eventually you'll be able to win and i kind of like that yeah it, there's a definitely a sort of old school uh kind of appeal to that that i really uh i really enjoyed and like that first boss battle i feel only like it kind of scratches the surface of what to expect because eventually um there's one in particular that takes place in this really tripped out amusement park um where the camera, and this sounds really annoying on paper, but it works in the moment. The camera is constantly changing and shifting to different perspectives. So you have to sort of strike a balance between dodging like waves and waves and waves of projectiles and doing the traditional jump, um, light, light, heavy, uh, platinum game style combat. You have to do all of that while the camera is constantly moving around and trying to get you to focus on different things, which I thought was really clever. That's That sounds kind of barfy. I mean, it does. It sounds really, like I said, on paper it sounds terrible. Yeah. But when you're playing it, it makes perfect sense for some reason. That kind of um, seems like it's the theme for the whole game. It's like, on paper it doesn't sound like it would work, but somehow Platinum managed to, to pull it all together. Yeah, I think that even I think that even applies to this, to the uh, narrative because uh, like I'm a big uh, Taro Yoko fan. Uh, okay. He is he's really weird. He makes really weird philosophical games. And the first thirteen hours, when you get to the first ending of the game, um, of which there are five uh, main endings, uh, there are technically twenty six endings, but there are five main ones. Okay. So I got to the end of that, and I was like, oh, this is. This is one of Tariyoko's more normal games. Uh, I guess he's just sort of uh, easing up on the weirdness. And then you start your second playthrough, which is from the perspective of an entirely different character. I won't say any more than that. Um, it goes completely off the rails in the best way possible. Um, robots quoting Friedrich, Nie Friedrich Nietzsche and all sorts of weirdness starts happening. Okay. And so you... The game sort of ruses you into thinking you've played this relatively normal action game with some weird gameplay every now and again. And then when you go into the other endings, the game just gets insane in a great way. Now, one of the things that um, I heard about the game, this is coming from uh, some interviews from uh, our very own Lisa Awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, they designed the game with more of a review aspect in mind like to kind of help the reviewer because apparently the first near did not uh complement that short burst kind of playthrough it did um, not but you also said you played that for most of february so you have a bit more of a, a better grasp on it than some other reviewers who probably would have gotten it a couple weeks before and had to crank something out by the next week i mean yeah i going off that interview quote because i um i read i read lisa's interview the developers and i can definitely see because the first near is super unclear that you have to play way more of the game to get the real story 
and as soon as you finish quote unquote this game a text box pops up that explicitly says you haven't beat the game the credits have rolled but this game is not over please keep playing it um because i feel like that was a problem with the first near that critics got to one ending and they were like oh i beat the game this is nothing special and they missed out on the whole you know 75 percent of the game and i feel like platinum was very clear here and putting dialogue boxes that told you to keep playing, <laughs> which is a little ham-fisted, but I think for some people, necessary. So it wasn't in terms of their gameplay. It was just in terms of the uh, the presentation. Yeah, I feel like in terms of the presentation, um, it was more accessible to ensure reviewers finished the game. I do think in terms of gameplay, in terms of analyzing it, because, I mean, the first New Year's biggest criticism was its gameplay. And so I think enlisting Platinum sort of uh, aided them in that because even Platinum's worst games have pretty good combat, I feel. Um, that Mutant Turtles game was terrible, yeah. but the combat had a certain flow to it. Uh, I, I'm sure if they had a couple more months with it, it would have been fine. I mean, yeah, Activision probably rushed them because they're Activision. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah exactly. Activision Activision. Exactly. Um, let's have three Call of Duty games being developed at the same time. Activision. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I think the gameplay, because Platinum, their games are usually really short, but their gameplay is usually really deep. And I think the thing is with this, the gameplay wasn't as deep as other Platinum games. It just felt as good and looked as good, but it was stretched over a longer period of time. So you had this really long game, like the first Nier, with combat that actually felt good to play. And I think encourage players to go on and see what sort of big enemies they fight next in this really stylish signature platinum sort of way so yeah i don't know i think the gameplay encourages and would encourage players and critics to keep playing through it and keep playing through all the endings simply because it looks cool and it feels good and it's really dynamic what with the switching between genres at the drop of a hat yeah it doesn't get boring it seems it doesn't i mean even the the very ending of the game actually managed to surprise me because usually when you beat a game, it's like, okay, I'm in the last 10%. I know what to expect. And this game just completely blew everything I was expecting the game to be out of the water. Like, I was really shocked. Now, without spoiling too much, is it kind of like the Bayonetta ending where you ride a motorcycle through space and you fight a giant galaxy monster who's hurling solar systems at you? Um... It is practically that bonkers. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think there is one thing I would say that's not necessarily a spoiler. When you do the final, final, final ending, you need to actually make sure you're connected to the PlayStation Network. Um, oh, okay. There is something that utilizes multiplayer in literally the last 20 minutes of the game. And is that the only part point in the game where you need that's that? That's the only point of the game. That's so weird. It is super, like I said, it threw me for a loop. I thought I knew what to expect, and then you die a few times to the last challenge, and then this option pops up, and it's like, hey, do you want help from other players? And another, the ghost data of another player that's been uploaded through a method that I won't spoil, um, it's really cool, helps you out and makes it significantly easier, and that sort of drives home a message of the game of, like, you know, togetherness, blah, blah, blah. Wow. That's a... Uh... That's pretty cool. It's nice to see kind of experimentation kind of come back. Because for the longest time, it felt <clears throat> like AAA gaming was very formulaic. Yeah, that was my big concern with uh, Nier. 
is that it being an open-world RPG put up by Square Enix. I mean, I love Square Enix, and I love their latest output. Like, pretty much every big title they've released for the last year or two has been really great. They've been on a it, roll. They have. Um, <clears throat> but I was worried that Nier would sort of uh, fall into a rote formula of open-world RPG fetch quest garbage, which I don't like. And it avoids that entirely. Huh. It's definitely... Definitely a Taro Yoko game, and it's definitely strange and weird from start to finish, and feels really good to play. That's pretty awesome. Uh, it's, it's been a it's been a pretty pretty solid month of gaming. When you it has of, like Breath of the Wild and uh, Ghost Recon, which I mean it's probably the weaker of the games we've just mentioned. I've, and, I've been enjoying it, but yeah, it definitely is. Uh, uh, what was uh, uh, Horizon as well, like? Oh yeah, that came out, huh? Yeah, it's you. You almost forget about it because, you know, near and, uh, and Zelda. But yeah, it's been March. Feels almost like a November. Yeah, it does. I think that's. I mean, I think that's to. Uh, I think that's to like. I think it's a good thing because I mean, obviously, November is probably gonna have a bunch of marquee titles. But I think game developers have sort of wised up of like, oh. We don't have to release our weird JRPG right next to Call of Duty. We can just push it to earlier in the year. There's, I feel like spreading releases out like that's really good for titles like Nier and Zelda. Like Zelda would sell well, but maybe it wouldn't sell well in November next to all the other big box games. And so I think, I think not having that holiday rush pressure um, is really good in terms of getting a nice variety of games out at once. Yeah, the, you make a good point there, and I also think that like the shopper around Christmas is probably or whatever holiday uh, is probably looking for something different than what's being offered right now too. Absolutely, I mean I think March has been a great time for people who. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say Zelda and uh, Horizon aren't AAA games because they very much are, but they're not what I consider AAA games in terms of, like, your Battlefields, your Call of Duties, your whatevers, right? Your Far Cries. Yeah, um, that's true. They're, they're AAA games for people, and I, I hate using this term, but for lack of a better term, because I'm sleep-revived, <laughs> quote-unquote hardcore gamers. I think, that's, I think that's what this month has been in terms of, like, people who don't want generic watered-down experiences in that have really pretty graphics this has been the month for them yeah i also think that 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 probably plays into the release schedule as well when you think about around the holiday season you know trying to meet with family and and all that kind of stuff you won't have time to sink into breath of the wild which is gigantic it's massive you're um I'm, you're still playing it right yeah i uh i've been playing a lot slower than you i know you beat it mm. i had to restart it uh, because, oh, well, because I had it saved on the CGM account, oh, so I restarted man. it on my account, and then also uh, my significant other wanted to play too. So I've been playing. I played the one on the CGM, and then I replayed it with my person, and then I'm replaying it on my own as well. So that's a <laughs> lot of the same uh, bits of Zelda. <laughs> yeah, my um, my girlfriend and our housemate who lives with us. Um, which is what a housemate is. I don't even need to say that. Um, <laughs> they have, they're still playing it. I mean, when the first four days of that game coming out, we woke up, played that game for the 12 to 15 hours we were awake, went to sleep, woke up, and then did it all over again. 
and we just talked with each other about it. It's so easy to do that there too. It it's, is. It's such a engrossing game, and I I tried to have this. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, so I, I don't want to get too far into it. But I tried to have this conversation um, with Phil and Brendan before, but it kind of got derailed. Okay. Um, so this game is the second highest game rated on Metacritic. Mm-hmm. I believe the first is Ocarina of Time. Huh. Yeah. Now, I, I, I've i heard Ocarina of Time, and I've also heard Mario Galaxy, uh, to be completely honest with you. We're, for th- I don't care. Uh, it, we'll say Ocarina of Time for this, this argument. Can you really compare the two? Because when you look at it, Ocarina of Time, when it came out, it changed things. It, it, it was one of the first big 3D open-world experiences. It introduced um, lock-on targeting, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, exactly. And it most of what Breath of the Wild has is groundwork laid by uh, Ocarina. But with that being sure. said, uh, Breath of the Wild, obviously it's a better game because it's come out later where you can do more. Uh, but can you really compare them? Because they came out in such different eras. I mean, I definitely have fallen into the trap of comparing Zelda games from different generations to Zelda games from more recent generations. But I think that you raise a really good point that... In 1996, when Ocarina of Time came out, doing dungeons in a certain order, the map basically being really tiny, all of that by today's standards didn't matter. Because back then, it was still super revolutionary. The idea of being able to walk around in a dungeon in 3D by itself was revolutionary. So I think you're right. I don't necessarily think there is fairness in comparing them, especially when you, I think you're right that Breath of the Wild definitely builds on the groundwork. However, I do think it's more fair to compare Breath of the Wild to games that came after Ocarina of Time. I feel like Ocarina of Time sort of set a formula. Yeah. And I feel like every game up until arguably, well, Majora's Mask being the exception, I love that game. Um, I feel like every game up until Link Between Worlds, which I adored, um, sort of followed the Ocarina of Time formula in terms of pacing and structure. And I feel like Breath of the Wild was the first time that Nintendo was like, okay, but what if we didn't do this again? Yeah, and it's almost like they want, especially early on, they go out of their way to kind of tease that, like, this ain't like other Zelda games. Like, there's uh, there's a point where you go into the, the Temple of Time, and there's just pots laying around, so you go and pick one up, and you throw it, and there's no rupees inside. There's no and, rupees anywhere. Yeah, and it's like, uh, there are some. You have to look really like hard. dropped them. Yeah, um, and it's 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 weird, and it's one of those things where it's like they want to they want they want you to know that like yeah it's still Zelda, but it's not this ain't your grandpa's Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I feel like it's such a it's such a generic thing. I feel to say like it made me feel like a kid again, but <laughs> Breath of the Wild made me feel like Ocarina of Time did when I was a kid. When I was a kid, Ocarina of Time seemed huge and massive, and like I was on this grand adventure, and I play it now, and I'm like, okay, well, this is this is super formulaic. And Breath of the Wild's the first time a Zelda game has made me feel since that game of like, wow, I'm on this giant scale, um, this map that's like uh, an unprecedented size from my understanding. Um, I can do anything in any order I want. I can go kill Ganon right at the beginning of the game if I want to. In your underwear. In my like, underwear. It's, it's like, 
It's insane. It's. I mean, it would be really hard to kill him. I've People tried have done it, apparently. Him. Really? They're like, lying. Um, there are <laughs> stream speed runs of this game. Um, it's not fake news, I promise. Uh, <laughs> there are speed runs of this game that clock in already 80 minutes. Wow. 80 minutes. Um, and I think that sort of speaks, though, to the versatility of this game, that you can play it however you want to and take as long or short as you want to because um, my housemate and my girlfriend are still playing it, like I said, and they're stumbling upon things and asking me if I saw them, and I'm like, no, I didn't even know that existed. And I think that really speaks to the scale and depth of Breath of the Wild. Yeah, that was the that was the thing, too, and I like, well, we'll probably wrap up after, after this, but um, the one thing I, I noticed... The last game that tried to really get that kind of scope for Hyrule was Twilight Princess. And I know you're a really big fan of Twilight Princess. But I love it. My big issue with Twilight Princess was, yeah, there was a lot of space, but there wasn't a lot of stuff in that space. It was very empty. Um, this is almost kind of like this is what they wanted if they would have had the power uh, of that time this is what Hyrule would have been like. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Like, I felt it had that scale with enemies and NPCs and a really interesting schedule and weather system around every corner. Yeah. And so I think they finally delivered on the promise of that scale. Like, it took them a long time, but they did it, and it's fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, definitely, if, you, if any of these listeners haven't played it yet, you you gotta it's, yeah it's it's a must play absolutely i mean yeah i mean <laughs> I, I don't know about the wii u version but i know it's really great in the switch i i know i play i played the wii version at e3 and okay. it was similar okay uh but i'm so far removed from it now i can't really pinpoint um the the differences obviously how's a speaking of which before we go how's your uh how's your switch holding up i um I'm starting to notice a weird thing of, like, the right Joy-Con is slightly looser than the left one, which is apparently a widespread issue with it. <laughs> really? I haven't noticed any of these issues. Like, I've heard the the screen scratches, and there's issues with uh, now the Joy-Con. I, I haven't experienced those issues. Now, mind you, I'm not playing as intensely as others are. Sure. Because I, I come home and I'm too tired. Um, of course. But uh, with that being said, I haven't really noticed that. And I've been taking it with me. Uh, to places i've been i've been trying to play as much as i can um but yeah no i haven't noticed that are you using yeah. the um the strap with it um i am not using the strap with it no i am just i mainly played it i played pretty much except for like maybe 10 hours if even on the tv i played most of it on the handheld okay. and so i think maybe me playing so many hours is what's made the joy cons have a little bit of give like some people are blowing out of proportion saying it's like i'm sending this back to nintendo it's like it's the same kind of give that a 3ds top screen gets when you open it enough times oh okay so it's not a disaster but it's like oh this is like my first week of having this and it already has a little give like and i know that's there to like if i drop it on the concrete it doesn't immediately smash it has a little bit of wiggle room but still i mean my ps4 controller the the joystick was completely killed in my first year of owning it so that happened to me too actually the yeah. PS4. <laughs> i mean it's these kind of things ha are common issues with any controller but i guess the the main issue with the the joy cons that they're so expensive to replace that it, yeah. it can be annoying it's 70 bucks right yeah 
personally, I'd recommend just like if you have the extra cash, invest in the Pro Controller because it's so comfy. I really want one. I like the little message they hid under the analog stick. Did you see that? No, I didn't. I heard that there was one. I never bothered to click on the uh, thing. What 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 is it? It says like love to all like game enthusiasts or something weird like that. Let me before we go. Let me pull it up. It's really okay. funny. Uh, let's see. Uh, That's important. It's weird seeing. Uh, I, I saw Sony congratulated Nintendo on a successful console release, and it's like I remember when everyone was supposed to hate each other. Not not being so nice. Yeah, the about console it. wars. Yeah. Remember blast processing, Cody? <laughs> oh, I remember blast processing. Uh, the message is uh, it's under the right analog stick, and it just says thanks to all game fans, which oh, is really cute. That is nice. Yeah. Way to go, Nintendo. So, way to go. <laughs> but yeah, I I, I love my Switch. Uh, that little bit of give doesn't really bother me, but I was just wondering how yours is holding up. Yeah, I haven't had that issue at all, but I'm sure you've been you beat Breath of the Wild, so you've been playing longer than me. Yeah, I've already started on Blaster Master, which is fantastic. I've anyway. heard it's really good. My other, the other game I'm playing, I'll do a quick little thing. I, I'm playing I'm Setsuna again, uh, and I really want to play it. It's so good, dude, and it's also, um, it's designed like the, when I played it, I was like, I would love this on the 3DS, um, and 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 now I can. That's kind of the same thing. I could take it with me. It doesn't drain the battery, um, and it's 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 a great title if you haven't played it yet. Um, it's sort of Chrono Trigger, right? Yeah, it, it's it's inspired by Chrono Trigger, but with um, a a story that's it hits you in the feels box. All right, I will be prepared for that then. <laughs> you're essentially you're you're taking a you're escorting a sacrifice to her death. Well, that's that's a real cheery note. To, yeah, uh, it's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note. On that note. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks for listening, everyone. For more content like this, don't forget to check out cgmagonline.com where you can find Elias's review for Nier. And you'll probably sooner or later find my review for I Am Setsuna. I did. And review his review for, for Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I did Breath it. of the Wild and the Nintendo Switch and 1-2 mm-hmm. Switch. And I think I did something on Legend of Zelda's Hyrule. I did a lot of writing the last few weeks, and I'm very tired. You did. <laughs> and there's also a physical magazine that we have. The newest issue is out, I believe, by the time of this recording. That's it sick. is the VR issue. Don't forget to check out that out. I actually got to interview Al Nilsson, who was the head of <sighs> Sega's marketing during the, the early 90s and the run. I talked to him about a canceled VR headset that Sega had planned for the Genesis that later got turned to a canceled VR headset that they had planned for the Sega Saturn. Um, and there's, I'll be reading there's a, that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. There's tons of content in there. Brendan talks about the future of VR and the price of VR and all that kind of stuff. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CGMagOnline. At CGMagOnline. And you can follow me on Twitter at Cody underscore Orm. Phil is at that Phil Brown. Elias? Um, I'm at the Fried Critic. And we have videos up on the YouTubes at CGMagOnline. And I think the Nier video is going to be up relatively soon, so you guys can watch some me play Nier very terribly. And with that, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone.